You're listening to Atlas of Chiropractic, the show where we uncover upper cervical chiropractic care for healthcare professionals, students, and potential patients. I'm Dr. John Stenberg, and with my co-host, Dr. Cameron Bearder, we are your guides to a behind-the-scenes look at the science and practice of upper cervical chiropractic. All right, welcome back to the Atlas of Chiropractic podcast. Uh, this is a this is going to be an interesting conversation. Those of you that attended the Blair Annual Conference in 2022, um, where were we? That was in Dallas, maybe or Orlando. Um, Dr. Dania Tamimi, South Carolina. That's right. Uh, Dr. Dania Tamimi there in Charlotte uh, was a presenter. And I think the connection is through Dr. Tyler Evans. Is that how you got coordinated with our group? Yes. Awesome. Okay. Uh, So Dr. Tamimi is a maxillofacial radiologist. And so we, we, I think he gave us two hours on CBCT and all of the different anatomical features and pathology and dysfunction and, and things that are relevant on that imaging that we as chiropractors either number one might not be looking for or number two might not even know exists. So uh, she took us to school and you've also done some CE courses for uh, chiropractors reading CTs. And I know you do courses for other professional organizations as well. So you're heavy in teaching and I really appreciate that because it, it takes, you know, someone from outside of our, you know, little bubble with a fresh set of eyes to open I guess, open our eyes to some of the things that, you know, we may have been missing. So I appreciate your, your uh, openness to share with our community and for sharing some time with me today. I think uh, a good place to start would be just a little bit of background. Give us an idea of your, your training and uh, how you got to be involved with the chiropractic profession. All right. So I'm a dentist. I trained uh, in dental school in Saudi Arabia, and I then went on to study radiology, oral and maxillofacial radiology at Harvard School of Dental Medicine. Um, and I did that in combination with a doctorate uh, degree. So, you know, I'm a double doctor. <laughs> and, um, you know, while I was going through dental school and while I was going through uh, even my radiology training, um, I also had a, a parallel career in fitness. So I was an aerobics instructor, a spinning instructor, and that somehow took me into the world of yoga and Pilates. And I did it in a gym setting kind of thing, you know, Um, so group exercise classes and that sort of thing. So I always had an interest in how the entire body came together uh, and how it works together and how it functions and falls into dysfunction. And um, yeah, so like I said, parallel career. And by the time I I, um, finished up my radiology training, I was like, okay, so which one do I choose? I was like, you know, really heavily invested in both. And I chose the radiology, obviously, because it's just a more stable and uh, lucrative uh, <laughs> yeah. um, field. Um, I didn't forget the other world. You know, I, like I said, heavily invested. I had, by the time I graduated from my radiology program, I had my 200-hour radio, um, <laughs> yoga certification, not radiology. <laughs> Many more hours more, than that. It, a yeah. lot more for radiology, for sure, but 200 hours for, for yoga. Um, I also was Stott Pilates trained. I don't know if you guys know what Stott Pilates is, but it's a very anatomically and precise form of Pilates. Hmm. The, the person, you know, who created Pilates, you know, uh, was Joseph Pilates. And one of his uh, disciples created the Stott Pilates philosophy. Okay. 
So anyway, so uh, right, so I had all that mat training, reformer, all that good stuff. And then I was like, okay, so what do I do now? Which one do I choose? And I chose the radiology because I also started to pop out babies and it was hard to, to have it all, right? Yeah. So one has to make decisions. Uh, I still kept some, you know, some of that in my life uh, as I was going through my kids, you know, <laughs> kids diapers and kids <laughs> lactation and all that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I also had a, a a one like a one class a week kind of thing at the Y where I was teaching yoga and subbing Pilates and that sort of thing. So I kept that kind of interest in in the two worlds. And I never thought that the two would come together, like, you know, my radiology, oral maxillofacial radiology and that, until I met uh, an amazing mentor uh, by the name of uh, David Hatcher, who's a radiologist up in Sacramento, California. And he basically gave me, um, I think, a gift, uh, which is that knowledge um, about the TMJ, right, Mm. and the understanding of the TMJ. Uh, not just as a joint that opens and closes your mouth, but really something a lot more central than that. You know, it's what's responsible for the growth of your mandible. And subsequently, your face, it's what part of it, it is related to airway development. And there's a way that the two structures or the two um, uh, rather systems come together and function together and fall into dysfunction together. So he really opened up my mind to all that stuff, you know. But then I was like, okay, so David, what about the cervical spine? And there was like a, a blank, right? <laughs> and I, I'm like, there's got to be something. There's got to be something going on, on here. You know, when someone's jaw relationship changes or their airway is narrow, they're, they're going to, you know, fall into some compensatory pattern, you know, to help increase their airway dimensions or to help them breathe or to function better, right? So, yeah, so that took me into a whole rabbit hole, you know, down the rabbit hole we go with (laughs) with all the possible continuing education out there. So David had an important role of bringing, you know, my radiology and connecting it to the rest of the body through the TMJ. But then there's the stuff that goes along, you know, with with this deeper knowledge that one has to acquire to really understand the dynamics, the biodynamics of the spine and you know, and the contents and, and all that. And, and I can't claim that I know, I know everything. I don't, I don't, but I'm, it's, you know, it's a journey. It's all of us. We are learning and we're all trying to find our way and, and find the truth um, about our, you know, the, the structures that are each and every one of our patients have. And uh, yeah. And there are so many different philosophies and different ways that these structures come together and uh, philosophies on how to treat the dysfunctions yeah. in these structures. So I try to like uh, acquire that. Like I, I, I'd like to think of myself as an aggregator, right? <laughs> like an yeah. orbits. <laughs> and I'm, I'm collecting information here and there from, from you guys as chiropractors, from the osteopaths, you know, from, um, you know, the anatomists, from the ENT docs, from the head and neck radiologists, you know, medical radiology, from the different disciplines in dentistry and just trying to bring it all together because in the end, you know, I'm responsible for what's on the scan Mm. and the scans that I'm looking at are the head and neck, right? So from the pretty much where the hyoid is, uh, C3, C4, when it comes to our uh, world in in dentistry Mm -hmm. uh, and upwards. So I need to understand what lives in these areas, not just the hard tissues that we can see on the cone BCT, but also the soft tissues. 
So that's a little, uh, I w- maybe a bit too much information, but. <laughs> no, that's, it's perfect because, you know, if you didn't have that fitness and Pilates uh, framework that you view health through, that the, that question of what about the cervical spine may, may not have been, you know, on the tip of your, I was, I was impressed when he said, well, you know, doc, what about the, what about the neck? Cause we don't obvious, we don't always see that in reverse in the chiropractic field. We don't always see folks go, oh, I've learned so much about the upper cervical spine. Like what's going on with the jaw, right? It becomes like, well, look, look what I know about my thing. I figured a lot of stuff out here. And so I think that systems approach to use your word uh, of understanding anatomy and how, you know, these structures are not isolated out into, you know, their bits and pieces that act independently of each other, but it is a neurostructural system. And then the, you know, soft tissues, you bring that into the picture. It's, there's a lot of dynamic uh, anatomy and physiology going on from the shoulders up, right? And it's a, almost a disproportionate amount of interaction compared to some other systems in the body. So it's fascinating and it's the logical next step. And I appreciate when folks think a little bit outside the box that way, because it, it creates opportunities, right? Just kind of like cracks one door open. And then, like you said, down the rabbit hole you go. And you've done that for a lot of chiropractors, you know, even being able to just introduce us to some of the important anatomy and dental concepts, you know, for upper cervical chiropractors. I think a lot of us are, we're curious, right? We love, we love looking at our imaging. We want to help our people. We're curious about how it works. So even just kind of tipping that first domino, uh, especially for a person like Tyler Evans or Michael Beebe or some of the others that you've interacted with, is it's a really good thing and it produces a lot of fruit. So we appreciate, uh, I appreciate your curious mind. I think a lot of people that do interesting things in healthcare just have that curious mind. You know, they're tinkerers and they want to just do what you said, see what they're doing over here, piece it all together. And we need the curators and the aggregators because those of us that end up getting really, really hyper focused in an area sometimes lose sight of the forest for the trees. Absolutely. And you know, it's a common affliction in in medicine and in dentistry and actually in humankind to like Mm. to look at the things that you like to look at. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if I were to bring you into my clinic, you know, and and look at you, like if I'm looking at you right now, you know, I'd look at your face in a very different way and your body, of course, in a very different way than if if we're another chiropractor that was looking at it, you know, Mm -hmm. there are things that my eyes are going to pick up right away. Like if there are any cavities or gum recession or or anything like that. So you better brush your teeth before you come and (laughs) visit me. (laughs) So yeah, there's a lot of things. I mean, as human beings, we tend to look at the things that we like to look at. And that's just the tunnel visioned approach to our, our lives, you know, and when it comes to our practice, unfortunately, in dentistry, it's the same, you know, people will look at the thing that they want to look at, but they'll ignore everything else. And when it comes to teaching people to read cone beam CT, that's an approach that I ask people to take. Whatever it is that you want to look at, whatever it is that the patient came into you to see, just don't look at that. Okay. Make that the last thing you look at, look at everything else and do that systematically and then go into the thing that you want to look because you're you know once you look at the thing that you want to look at you're going to check a box and that's it you know (laughs) that's going to check a box in your head and you're going to move on but if you keep your mind curious about that thing and still go through everything else systematically to make sure there's nothing else there in any other place that you're not interested in then you know you have a comprehensive picture of what's happening with your patient Mm -hmm. yeah that's great advice and i think um i may have you maybe just describe how you would go through a scan. You know, I, I did a, 
I think Vivos had like a two and a half hour, you know, CBCT free online thing that I watched in, in the, I forget the doc's name, but he had kind of described the way that he scans through CTs front to back, top down, you know, however you want to do it. Um, what would be best practice? Give us an idea of how you would, as a chiropractor, assuming that like my main focus is the spine, we're going to set that aside. How would you approach a CBCT scan? Okay. Well, first of all, you know, everybody does this a little bit differently and it doesn't matter which method you adopt as long as you stick to it, you know, Mm -hmm. so you have to find a systematic method that you're going to adopt that is going to go through, that's going to enable you to go through every single structure. You know, um, my method is maybe different from, you know, the people at Vivos, the other radiologists, everybody does things a little bit differently, but in the end, it's just that their consistency and um, the high fidelity, you know, in approach between one uh, scan and the next. Yeah. Because everyone has the same anatomy, yeah. you know, with variations. This is like, so I'm going to be a little bit philosoph- philosophical right now. Underneath your skin, you all look the same. You all have the same. There's, you know, no, I can't tell if you're black or white or yellow or whatever, you know, underneath when, when I get your cone beam CT. So that's just something a little humbling. Um, and you know, anyway, <laughs> that was, <laughs> I know I, you're 100% right. And I remember even a, a, in chiropractic college, I think one of the, one of the docs that taught us to read bone films, you know, he, he even said like, you couldn't even tell if this person was alive or dead, you know, like all you're looking at here are bones. This is, you know, uh, a part of the whole, and that's what you're referencing mm-hmm. too. Right. It's a cross section in time. You know, like you said, you don't know um, anything about this person other than what's, what's there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Good. Well, so, and there's a lot there, right? And I know that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have an affinity for dentistry. I went through undergrad working and interning in a dental office, basically worked as an assistant with the intention that I would go to dental school. And so that was, so my introduction to healthcare was, you know, at the, at the side of the dental chair. And I worked in this old rural, you know, country office. This guy didn't even have a computer in his office. Everything was done, you know, the way that he started in 1972 when he graduated from Case Western. And uh, we, you know, so I was in the dark room dipping his periapicals and his panos and all that stuff. And it was, uh, you know, he would point things out on these, you know, on these black and white grainy x-rays. And because he'd been looking at them for 40 years, you know, he had this enormous database in his head of, these images and what and what to appreciate and what to notice. And I studied anatomy and I was sitting there in the chair with him looking in these mouths. And I thought, I can't see, for the life of me see what he's seeing. Right. So technology's evolved so much that now we're, we're confronted with these high resolution, you know, high quality images that, you know, are really readily accessible in a matter of seconds. Um, maybe explain how you got introduced to CT. When did that become sort of a, uh, useful modality in dentistry, you know, because in chiropractic, it's only been, I don't know, maybe a decade of, of utilization here. Right. Well, um, the history of cone beam CT, it goes back, you know, it started off in medicine and they actually started using it for cardiac imaging. Don't ask me hmm. how, because cardiac is soft tissue. But um, anyway, so it evolved to becoming an um, imaging modality in dentistry and uh, in around 2000, approximately the year 2000. Okay. Um, and then 
while I was going through dental through dental school, there was no cone beam CT. So I, I graduated from dental school in 99. And then I entered my radiology program in 2000 from 2000 to 2005. So we didn't get our cone beam CT until towards the end of my program. It was already 2004 or something like that, beginning of 2004. So um, that said, you know, I also I did a lot of training at Mass Eye and Ear Infirmary in Boston, which is Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary is like a big hospital that does a lot of ENT stuff. And, and the radiology department there sees um, all those images. Um, so I already had that ability to think three dimensionally from going through all those CTs and MRs in the medical setting. So now here we have cone beam CT and, and at the end of my program, I'm like, okay, I'm now scrambling trying to <laughs> figure this thing out because like, it's, it's something new. Right. Yeah. And I guess it's an evolution. It took some time for me to actually, uh, you know, get really good at it. And in the beginning, everybody's a little rusty or not rusty, but rather, you know, you're hesitant. And it takes you some time to develop the proficiency that's required to do this, you know, with ease and confidence. But um, I'd say within like one year into my practice, um, independently, then I, I started to be like, okay, now I, I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, I can do this. But remember, I had all that training in 3D. It's not like I was thrown into the world of 3D from, from nothing. Right. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, we in dentistry. It's pretty much been used since 2000, little bit by little bit. It hasn't like didn't really permeate into the market until I'd say 2005, six, seven, something like that. And then it exploded, and and you know the Cobium CT vendors were selling it to every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and that's basically <laughs> how it went because there's no restriction in in the U.S. to who can buy a cone beam CT. I mean, in terms of like dentist, you know, there's yeah. no, like in Canada, for example, you can't have a cone beam CT unless you go through a, a good amount of um, training in both radiation physics and biology safety, basically, as well as in interpretation. But we don't have this here in the U.S., which is kind of alarming, but. That, is, that is interesting. And I've always been curious about those medical legal differences, even on a state by state basis let alone, you know, across, uh, across borders. But, you know, I guess we all sort of lean on our educational institutions and say, you know, what, what are they doing with this? And what are they teaching with this? Um, and in cone beam CT with chiropractic, this is, you know, literally there's just in the last 18 months or two years that there's been a, a cone beam CT on a chiropractic campus. So uh, we're in the early, early stages of, you know, going through that regulatory process of understanding what is the best practice for using this imaging in a chiropractic setting? And, you know, what is the relevant training, you know, so that folks can use it appropriately and safely and for the right reasons. And so uh, it's, you know, these things, history repeats, you know, as, as technology emerges, but uh, the access is becoming so much easier that, like you said, it's kind of at this point hit a tipping point in upper cervical chiropractic. And it's, it's kind of like the go-to thing that everyone's excited about right now. So we're, we are kind of playing catch up a little bit because like you said, you know, you, you had all that training in 3D and some of us, we have some, right? We look at MRIs, we look at advanced imaging in school, and then we, we see them with patients periodically, but we're not, we're not scanning through as much anatomy on imaging as, as you would have in your, in your uh, radiology training. And so now we're kind of getting this new, new tool, you know, it's, it's big time 3D. And uh, I think we like to think 
as chiropractors, we like to believe that we think in 3D, uh, but it's a little bit different. You know, it's a little bit different way of, of viewing the anatomy in the system. So let's let's maybe start with the TMJ, but I'd be curious to review a couple systems and you can kind of give us an idea of, as upper cervical chiropractors, the importance of um, of these systems relevant to our practice. And, and just from an imaging perspective, what things we, we need to be looking out for in there. And uh, TMJ, airway, and then if there's anything that you'd like to say about um, the uh, sinuses, orbits, any of those like internal skull features too. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, actually, let me start from the more dental thing. How about that? So, because we're taking us away from the tunnel vision and then things that we're interested in, and I'm going to talk to you about things that you may not be interested in. <laughs> so we'll start with that first. Okay. So, um, Dental caries and periapical inflammation and, and periodontal inflammation, all that stuff is like the most, the most common inflammatory process happening in the patients, in, in, uh, in humans. You know, of course, we, we have colds and that sort of, sort of thing, but radiographically, you're going to see a lot of dental uh, in, inflammation. So the, the sequela of decay or other issues that lead to pulp death, that lead to a periapical rarefaction, so a, an inflammatory process, pus, whatever, in these uh, around the apices of the teeth. Okay, and these may be painful if they're acute, if they're early on, or they they could be chronic, and you this person may have this for a long period of time in their body. And we all know who who wants inflammation in their body, right? So, uh, and of course, in, the, in addition to the fact that we might have um, in these patients, there may be benign or malignant tumors in their jaws, okay, as you may have benign or malignant tumors anywhere else. But um, I think it's important since a lot of, and I've seen a, quite a few clinical CTs coming out of uh, chiropractic offices, um, they do include the jaws, okay? So I think it's important to establish a method to look at the jaws to rule out the presence of either the inflammatory processes or something a little bit more sinister to make sure that, you know, you get the patient to where they need to go. And this is not about like, okay, it's not my thing. I'm not a dentist. Who cares? You know, I'm going to just have the patient sign off on a waiver because dentists do that, by the way, <laughs> they'll <laughs> say, I'm only going to look at the thing I want to do. And you, I need to sign this because <laughs> uh, you, you can't do that. And that's not going to hold up in the court of law. Right. <laughs> So you just have to, um, and, and that's not, it's not about that. It's about the karma, right? It's about you and the relationship with another human being that trusts right. you, right? So you need to be able to tell them if something's wrong, right? And if the information is on your scan, you better find it. Um, so anyway, so, so there is a methodology for looking at the scan. I mean, like I said, everybody is a little bit different in the way that they look at things. Um, but the way that I do it, and this, I simplify it for people, is to look through uh, the scan from the axial, from the top, okay, and then take it all the way down. And when you're looking at the axial, you're looking at only the black things, okay? So, so your eyes can only pick up, or are better apt, rather, at picking up variations in these uh, grayscales if you're focusing on, on one grayscale level, all right? Hmm. And, Air is black, right? So you look at the black stuff. You look at the sinuses bit by bit, each sinus on its own. You know, you're scrolling up and down, up and down through the sinuses, through the nasal cavity, through the nasopharynx, the oropharynx, all the way down to the bottom of the scan. Okay, so that's airway to for cancer screening. Okay. Um, now, 
when I teach this to dentists, I tell them to climb up the cervical spine because they don't care about the cervical spine. So climb up the cervical spine, the white things now, you're looking at the white things from cervical spine upwards into the skull base, looking at all the foramina and then taking it all the way to the top, right? And then in the dental case, now we're gonna look at teeth, all right? So the teeth, uh, for you as a chiropractor, the way that I would ask you to look at it is, it's, is gonna be different from what a dentist would do because the dentist is very particular about each tooth and, and very different things that they, they're trying to figure out from the cone beam CT than you. You just need to make sure there's no pathology. So when you're approaching the teeth, when you're approaching the jaws, start with the axial, Okay, and you're starting from the top down on the axial. And I'm hoping that you know how to count teeth, or at least <laughs> if you can't count them, at least you know their names, right? So, uh, and you'd look at it just like a dentist would, you know? So you're looking at um, from the right side, okay? The upper right across to the upper left, and then you go down to the lower left and across to the lower right, okay? So that's the methodology of looking at these. And uh, on the axial, as you're scrolling down the roots, you wanna look for any changes in the periodontal ligament space. So I wish we could, like I could show you a diagram, but you know, I, I'm gonna try my best to be <laughs> as verbally descriptive as possible. So your teeth are these calcified structures and the roots are conical, right? Or semi-conical. And in the center of the root is gonna be a low density area, which is the pulp because right, mm -hmm. it's soft tissue. And on the axial, that's going to look like a little hole or a circle. Yeah. Okay. And then around the root, there's going to be a low density line, which is the periodontal ligament space, which is where the tooth connects to the bone. Right. And around that, there's a, a white line called the lamina dura. And that's just what that configuration looks like normally. Now, as you're scrolling through the apices and the roots of the teeth, you're looking for changes in widening of that lamina dura, okay, of that, sorry, periodontal ligament space, that, that low density area, okay? Right. All right. And, and, and it's quite easy to do, you know, to, to pick up things that way. Um, also, the other thing you want to look at after you finish looking at the teeth is you want to look at the outlines of the bone because every single bone should have a cortical outline. So that's right. a high density, thick, uh, relatively thick, depends on the bone that you're dealing with, but it's, it's a hard uh, tissue, dense structure. And then inside we've got trabicular spaces and the trabicular spaces have these narrow spaces. They've got trabicular bone, okay, the, but the majority of it is soft tissue. So it's lower in density than the cortical bone. So what you need to be doing is you need to look for A, the continuity of the cortices all the way around to make sure that there are no breaks, mm -hmm. okay? And the other thing you need to look at is do these these um, these uh, trabicular spaces, these marrow spaces, are they uniform? Are they homogenous? Or are there areas of high density or areas of low density that may signify the presence of pathology? So yeah, so that's the teeth, okay? <laughs> now we can go on and talk about other things, but I, if you need to like interject with anything just to break it up a bit, we can... You know, you can go ahead and do that. No, well, one, one thing I was thinking is, you know, as this is an audio recording and you said, I can't, I wish I could show you, um, you know, images. I'm going to just tease this. We'll talk about it in a bit, but I'm going to encourage folks to go get Dr. Tamimi's book because you've got a book with, you know, all of these structures. 
outlined pictures of scans, all the anatomy, all the relevant, because I was thinking as you were even talking about the, uh, you know, in the soft tissue spaces in the airway and, and looking for, you know, lesions and masses, I can imagine some folks going, well, I don't even know what that looks like normally. So how am I going to appreciate an abnormal scenario? And, and I would encourage you to go pick up her book, you know, and have that as a reference guide and have something to study these uh, anatomies. And I would, I would, if I were doing it, I would, I would just choose a system, right? Start with the teeth and, and study the chapter on the teeth and start looking at all the teeth, get that memory bank built up and then go on to the next thing. You know, it's, it's impossible to absorb all this information, you know, all at the same time at once. But I think you, I think it's reasonable the, the way that you described it. Most folks should be able to visualize, you know, those changes. So I'm with you. It took me 23 years to get where I am right now. So it doesn't happen overnight, you know. Well, and that's the sign of an expert, it, you know, someone who's strong in an area is you can take, you can take a complicated situation and describe it simply like you just did. So, you know, kudos to your, uh, you know, to your years of dedicated training because it shows. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So continuing on to the other systems, do you want to talk about airway next? We can talk about airway. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, chiropractors in particular are interested in the airway right now. And I know, you know, just thinking about a cervical lordosis, right? A lot of us get really fixated on measuring these, you know, these spinal curvatures and, and making it a treatment outcome that we want to see those things improve. And I remember, I don't know if it was at a, a chiropractic conference or a dentist friend of mine or somebody that had, you know, kind of, you know, put the bug in my ear that, you know what, you know, you're the most important thing in your life is your next breath is what he said. And it's like, your, your body will trash your neck in order to open up that airway and provide uh, volume for respiration. And so, you know, when we think about even our anatomy and our outcomes and things we're, you know, interested in, it's really important to understand these other systems and their interactions because, you know, you don't want to put somebody in traction or, you know, some sort of like extension traction type position to increase that airway and get frustrated when the outcomes don't improve or when neurologically they don't do as well because they're you know, you're, you're trying to decompensate. So yeah, let's talk about the airway. Cause I think that's on a lot of folks radar these days. Okay. So this is a multifactorial uh, structure or set of structures. Okay. So it's not just about the oropharyngeal dimensions that are, by the way, as you said, manipulated by the uh, posture of the head and the neck. All right. There's a lot to it. So your breath actually starts from the tip of your nose, right? So Everything from that point on inwards all the way down to your hyoid is Im implicit in this sleep disordered breathing thing. Mm. Okay? So you need to look at the nares, you know, the internal nasal valves, which are basically you've got a cartilaginous structure, uh, two cartilaginous structures that come together in the lateral aspect of your nasal cavity, of your, of your nose, actually. And if there is a collapse of those uh, structures, that's going to narrow the internal nasal valve, which is going to compromise your ability to breathe in and out through your nose. Okay. Now, further in, when you go into the piriform aperture, which is the hole, you know, that it makes up your nose, if you take all the skin away, right? Um, the hole in your skeleton, in your skull. Yeah. So you, you need to be looking at the size of the turbinates, uh, the presence of anomalies, the deviation of the septum, septal spur formation, the presence of pathology, rhinus sinusitis, you know, that kind of thing. When someone's always congested and can't breathe through their noses, they're going to breathe through their mouth, and that's going to introduce a whole other bunch of issues, okay? Right. Um, things uh, as further back, you know, we've, you know, we have uh, into the nasopharynx, we have the adenoids, 
okay, which is lymphoid tissue that lives in the back of the nasopharynx. And that can enlarge, especially, I mean, children tend to have large adenoids and tonsils, but in some kids, they become so large that they will, they will occlude the back of the nasal cavity, the posterior coina of the nose. Okay. And then the the kid is going to resort once again to mouth breathing. Um, As we travel down into the oropharynx, there are several collapsible structures here. We've got our soft palate. We've got our tongue, we've got the epiglottis, you know, and of course we've got the cervical spine and the prevertebral tissues posterior to that, okay? And the face, or rather the jaws, is the house of the tongue. So the tongue has to fit in that house. And if they don't, if it doesn't fit because of the phenotype of that person, okay, because their arches are narrow, because they've been breathing all their lives through their mouths, and they've taken their tongue away from the palate, and there has been a whole bunch of remodeling changes in the face that make that tongue, uh, make that actually the house of the tongue much smaller than the tongue. The tongue's going to go back, right? Yeah. So the oropharyngeal dimensions is is an important factor here. But on Combe and CT, when you create a volume measurement of that, you have to understand that that volume is does not represent what happens to this patient when they're asleep. Mm-hmm. Because the scan is often acquired upright and when the patient's awake. And when you have sleep apnea, you're asleep and you're lying down on your back, right? Yeah. So, so there's that. And then, of course, um, the fact that the patient might manipulate their head during scan acquisition, I mean, for stabilization. Now, I, don't, I, I know that in chiropractic offices, you have a head clamp and you're actually very cognizant about having the patient in a natural head posture, right? Whatever, whatever, however they, they present clinically, you know, in, right. in life. In dentistry, it's not like that. They don't care about the cervical spine, so they'll often put the chin on the chin rest, bringing the, the patient into a forward head posture, or maybe they'll take the head back and strap the head back with Velcro, bringing the head against a headrest, and that's going to make the airway smaller. So, and of course, tongue posture, depending on where you put your tongue, that's also going to manipulate the oropharyngeal dimensions. So you have to be just wise about, you know, interpreting what those dimensions really mean, because they don't really correlate unless you look at the clinical presentation and start to um, figure out what else is going on. Because like I said, there can be other things which are very easily detected on Columbian CT that we need to be aware of. because you don't, you can't treat something if you don't diagnose it. Yeah. Right. If if you're like, oh, airway issue, and then okay, let me increase the cervical lordosis to increase airway, but the issue is in the nose. Yeah. Or the issues in the jaws, then you're not doing anything. You're just masking an issue. Right? Yeah, it just becomes one more fixation. You know, the next, you know, the next thing that you uh, hyper focus on. You know, and I, I really like troubleshooting. I think a lot of us that get into upper cervical care, we like that problem solving part of it you know, which is we don't just treat everybody the same. And and I was thinking as you were describing, you know, those those relative relationships, even with alignment and misalignments, we don't necessarily adjust every little thing that's misaligned because in the whole picture, it may or may not be relevant. And it's about figuring out the cause and effect type relationships there. So I think the philosophy is very similar and the way that a lot of us approach, you know, even just the uh, osseous part of the scans. But it's worth uh, it's worth having that top to bottom, front to back, you know, three dimensional perspective of airway because I think what a lot of chiropractors and I've you know been guilty of this too think about the airway they just think about that retropharyngeal 
space and they don't always, you know, consider all the way up to the to the tip of the nose. So even just that bit right there will really help folks expand their perspective. Right. And remember, you know, your your sleep disorder breathing isn't just obstructive sleep apnea. You can also right. have central sleep apnea. And that's in the whole other ball of wax. You know, none of us are uh, neither me or I guess chiropractors are qualified to diagnose or, or treat, you know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So diagnosis the, is key. Mm-hmm. And then the, the 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 TMJ themselves. And this is something that I think. I, and I'm personally, and I know others have shared, have shared the sentiment. It's like when you talk to dentists about what's important and what, you know, systems and, and diagnoses are relevant for us to be paying attention to. It's like, I've heard everything from, you know, it's all about occlusion and, you know, the TMJ doesn't matter as much, fix the occlusion. I've heard other folks say that the, the airway is the most important thing and we don't really care so much about the joint. And other folks say that if you don't fix the joint, the occlusion and the airway will never improve. And obviously they're all related, but there are differences of opinion in dentistry about, you know, how to prioritize those, those structures. Um, So maybe you care to weigh in on that. I know from a, you don't have a clinical practice where you're, you know, where you're treating patients, but when we're looking at imaging, we're going, oh my God, you know, this person's obviously got symptomatology of someone that has dysfunction in these systems. You know, how do I prioritize uh, this anatomy? Do you have um, any input on that? Well, first of all, I want to second the fact that, you know, you said that there are different ways of approaching this. Yes, there are multiple ways of approaching it, and they don't always agree. Mm-hmm. And they don't always talk to one another, which is a problem. You know, they're, they're just so wrapped up in their egos that they don't want to communicate with the other party. You know, when I think that there is truth in what everyone is doing, and our systems are just so malleable and so... Um, apt to repair themselves, you know, they're yeah. just so... Uh, well adapted to do that, um, that anything that we throw at them will, they, they'll take and they'll, you know, in, in some cases, of course, it doesn't work out. But, you know, in, in a way, there are many ways to skin this cat. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> this cat scan. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's, I just got that. That's good. Yeah. And, and right. it's, it's true. You know, we all, uh, in chiropractic, it's the same, you know, with chiropractic techniques and we all have our, our, our interests and our priorities. And, um, you're right. I think at the, at the root of it, we do have to appreciate. And this is one thing I like about chiropractic is our philosophy does sort of identify the body as an adaptive, adaptable self-healing organism, you know, where these systems will, will coordinate and, and the progress you make in one area often translates to progress in other areas, but that doesn't mean that those other areas, you know, aren't, uh, don't warrant further investigation in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I think the first thing I'm going to tell everybody on this uh, podcast, listening to this podcast and everyone who I get a chance to talk to is do away with the ego, mm. right. And open up your eyes and open up your ears to what other people have to say. So um, with that said, okay, so let's, let's think about what the most important thing, and you already said this, you know, you need to breathe. <laughs> um so we need to make sure that these people are breathing because it's not just about the inhale and the exhale that you're taking at this moment, but it's also the long-term effects yeah. on, on what that 
reduction in quality of sleep will do to a person. And if this has been happening all their lives, ever since they were kids, that's going to manifest with so many different chronic diseases. I mean, if they make it through teenagehood without falling asleep behind the wheel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So an ADHD and all this medication we're throwing at our kids, you know, just to get them to be, and I'm using my fingers as quotation marks, normal. Right. Yeah. Um, when in reality, I mean, many of these kids and adults just need a good night's sleep. And we all, we've all tried, we've all had the, the, these nights where we didn't sleep well and we just felt really bad the next day and couldn't function and all that. Just imagine this happening chronically over your entire life. So I'm going to give a book recommendation. This is a, you know, this is a, actually, it's a paperback. You know, it's, it's a, a really good book. It's called Why We Sleep by Matthew mm -hmm. Walker. Yeah, so I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but he's this brilliant neuroscientist, you know, who's made it his life work to study sleep in humans. And he's a great writer and he's a great orator as well. And I think he has some podcasts with Peter Atiyah. I don't know if you know Peter Atiyah. Yeah. Not, but yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can look him up and just listen to what he has to say. It, it's going to give you an appreciation for the importance of, of sleep and make you a lot more protective of your seven to eight hours a night, right? And then you can relay that to your your patients. And the nice thing is this book is so easy to read that you can give it to patients to read if you think they have an issue, okay? Excellent. So, so going back to the prioritization of what, what to do, I mean, you can't do it all. You and your silo upper chiropractic world can't do it by yourself. You know, you need to be talking to other people and, and work as a team. So if you have patients, if your practice does have a lot of TMD patients or a lot of airway patients that you are suspecting have sleep disordered breathing, that is, you might want to talk to or, or create some liaisons with um, the sleep dental medicine people, as well as any TMJ specialists in, in the area. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm going to take it now to TMJ. And let's just say that this is like probably the most contested piece of anatomy in the entire body because you know, there, once again, there are many ways to skin this cat and everyone thinks they're right. Okay. Yeah. Um, there are some that will focus on this joint as being, uh, um, or the, the issues with this joint being as being a, a product of psychosocial disorders. Okay. So hmm. stress and abuse and all that trauma, whatever it is. Okay. So it's all in your head and they're going to medicate you and maybe put a splint in, you know, if, if there's like excessive um, muscle bracing because of bruxism or whatever. Okay. And there are those that are going to say the TMJ and the occlusion are linked to one another. And we need to make sure that there are no occlusal interferences, no high points, nothing like that, that could be causing the patient to over clench because they're bothered by that. Right. Mm -hmm. So that you've got these two philosophies and that there are more, of course. Okay. And, and they, they don't want to talk to one another or maybe that they, you know, they just don't believe in what the other one has to say because one is looking at it through their lens. Okay. And saying, okay, so show me the, the evidence, show me the, the science, show me the, whatever, you know, there, there are no like large randomized studies that show that, the, that the TMJ, that the occlusion caused temporomandibular disorders. But then there are the clinicians who are wet fingered dentists who are seeing this every day. Right. And it's really hard it's a hard thing to study. It's a hard thing to study and to put into a paper. Yeah. So then comes in, you come into another realm, bring the airway in. Okay. So which, which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, yeah. the airway issues start first or did the TMJ 
issues start first and how does this all relate to the occlusion? There's just so much to it, right? And then let's throw in the cervical spine since we're all, you know, interested in this. And, and this is something that most dentists don't even have a clue about, you know, is that especially, you know, in orthodontics where they're changing maxillary mandibular relationships and influencing people's growth, the facial growth, what's going to happen downstream to that if they change the mandibular maxillary, you know, relationship, the fascia, myofascia is going to respond and there's going to be changes in the way that you align your spine, right? Um, just a simple thing. And I mean, I, I know that people can't see me here, but let's do this you and I together and hopefully they'll follow along. Okay. So just sit up tall and everyone can try to do this as well. Sit up tall and bring your teeth gently together. Okay. So don't clench, just have them touch lightly. Okay. And keep your eyes level to the horizon. Okay. Now I'd like you to tip your nose upwards and notice what's happening in the contacts between your teeth. And then mm-hmm. tip your nose downwards and notice what's happening in the contacts between your teeth. And I, mm-hmm. I'm just talking about capital flexion and extension. Yeah. Okay? So, so what do you notice? You feel it slide back and slide forward. Right. Okay. So just imagine that there's this person who has uh, a sleep disordered breathing issue and they have the cervical lordosis right, or a forward head posture where they're trying to increase airway dimensions. So what type of uh, posture uh, do they have with their with their C1, C0? I mean, what do they have? What's going extension, on there? Extension, yeah. Ex- yeah. Extension. So there is a situation that they're in habitually, which brings their mandible back, right? Yeah. Now, most yeah. dentists will just like treat the, the patient wherever they are. They're not going to think about these relationships, right? So this is something that, you know, I think there's a, a role for the chiropractor to come in and to help, you know, chiropractic physical therapists, osteopaths, whatever, you know, any people who understand the role of the whole body and the myofascia and how it all plays together to help create proper and successful long-term outcomes for, for dental patients. Yeah. And we, uh, we see folks that the other thing that is important to remember is that folks can have more than one issue, right? And we see a lot of folks that have had cervical spine trauma and they've got an atlanto-occipital articulation misalignment and and that's stress to the joint capsule you know when that thing is moving around without proper alignment and mechanical motion and that's that's not healthy for that joint if you add on to it you know this relationship that you're talking about and, and creating extra extension stress in that joint when it's already dysfunctional i mean we were just um you know, we were just learning about some cranial cervical instability uh, situations and and uh one of the Doctors, uh, Dr. Chris Centeno, an MD who does a lot of the, the biologic injections for creating stability in the CCJ, was talking about how, you know, we're realizing that that occipital lintel articulation instability in that joint is a is a huge problem. You, know, you develop rotation there where it's not supposed to be. You know, that's a that's a huge pain generator for a lot of these patients. Uh, and so even just that bit there, understanding how, you know, the occipital lanyl relationships will be manipulated by that airway and TMJ uh, relationship. It's, it's the review of systems, right? We have to really be, you know, screening all these relevant systems. And the way I, I kind of describe it to patients is what you said before in, in my silo and in my area of expertise, I can help you in this, in this way, but we also need to be mindful of some of these other issues that are going to number one, limit how successful we can be with our, 
with our treatment approach. And number two are going to be, you know, feeding into your symptomatology. And, and the idea is that we want to work together to get the best possible outcomes, you know, not just objectively with our indicators and our, you know, our treatment goals, but symptomatically as a person, you know, you had referenced this before, as a person caring for another person, we want them to feel good and live a, a high quality life. Right. And so even these little things that I hope folks are thinking about, how does this relate to, you know, even the way that I analyze my, you know, my chiropractic uh, outcomes uh, and piece these things together, because I do find, you know, the, the dentists that I've met with, even though they may have differences of opinion with each other, they're very keen on, you know, what what do you know about this neck deal and how's that going to impact, you know, both their outcomes uh, but also things that they could be looking out for. And so we've even had conversations about physical exam procedures and things that you can look at on the CTs in the reverse, you know, of that conversation. So, you know, someone that you might want to um, interview maybe next time or even have a conversation with is Mariano Roccobato. Mm. Have you heard of Roccobato? No. Okay. So he's a physical therapist out of Chile. He speaks good English, very good English because he did a stint here in, in the U.S., and he uh, is brilliant, and he basically uh, talks about the relationship of the craniovertebral junction with the occlusion and with the TMJs. Okay, and he has this concept called the tricentric concept. So, tricentric concept is the occlusion isn't just TMJs and teeth. You know, it's also where your atlanto-occipital joint is. Okay. And he actually wrote a chapter in my book. You know, if you get the book, it's there. But you can look him up. And if you'd like me to, to connect you with him, I think this would be very helpful for your group. Um, because he, he really is, he's a very nice person, too. He's an amazing person. He's a good friend of mine. And uh, very giving in terms of information. So. Yeah. No, but it, it, I think that... Um... That's such an interesting perspective and just just visualizing the structures, you know, and, and even whiplash mechanics and how the whole head and neck are traumatized by some of these injuries that happen on a day to day basis, you know, let alone your your phenotype like you described, let alone, you know, whether you were breastfed or bottle fed, you know, whether you were a cesarean or natural, all these other factors. Right. I feel for folks. They've got so many things that are layering dysfunctions you know, in these systems that honestly, I feel that as upper cervical chiropractors, like we, we need a comprehensive approach to managing these, these conditions. And, and for a lot of us, we'll probably be the one to consider the relationship first, right? It, it may not, cause we know that, you know, folks aren't going to the dentist like they need to, they're not brushing and flossing like they need to, right? So even just picking up on the on the dental caries, but then looking at these other systems, they may have not been in a dental office for years and have had anybody screen their TMJ, even with just physical exam procedures. So I think we have this kind of interesting niche where chiropractic is, is I guess, a little bit more familiar to folks and they're a little bit more comfortable with it and that now they're understanding the impact on, you know, let's say things like headache and dizziness presentations which obviously, you know, all these dental concepts, you know, blend with really nicely. Um, yeah, I love having these conversations and, and this networking. I would appreciate the introduction uh, to Mariano because it's, I feel strongly about being the mouthpiece, right? And that's kind of like pun intended, but, you know, these conversations that happen that should elevate all of our understanding and our level of curiosity and our diagnostic prowess, I think is, is crucial for sort of the, for lack of a better word, just jacked up physiology that these poor folks are bringing into our offices. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard a guy who's a, he's not a chiropractor, he's a chiropractic advocate and a marketer and researcher and that kind of thing. And he said it recently, you know, patients bring more to the table than what you can do for them on the table. And, and these conversations that we're having are really, really, you know, emphasizing that point, even just, you know, from the hyoid up, right? There's so much going on there. Uh, so I love these conversations and we could go on and on. But is there anything else you want to you want to mention as far as the TMJ before we uh, start to wind down? I know we could it, it's hard in this amount of time, you know, to to describe all the relevance. But anything else you'd like to mention in that topic? Well, actually, more more along the line of how you can create a, a relationship with a dentist. And I think it boils sure. down to you picking up dental disease. Yeah. So if you learn how to pick up dental disease and you start referring your patients to a dentist, they're going to be like, oh, wow, you exist. What are you again? Who are you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then you can, you can take this dentist out to lunch and start talking to them or, you know, about what you do and, and they'll start referring patients to you. Right. Yeah. So that's absolutely. Yeah. And then you can get into these deep, because not every, every dentist is really down with all these deep relationships of all how everything is connected to one another. Still the, the vast majority of them are drill and fill, right? Yeah. Sure. They're still doing the basic dentistry. Okay. But a lot of them are niche dentists and high functioning dentists who will take it to, to the next step. Okay. Um, there, I think there's one dentist who practices something called chirodontics. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. <laughs> yeah. I have. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. I just thought the name was catchy. So. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I think the average per I, I can appreciate where they're coming from, but I think the average person would be like, is this guy an orthodontist or a Cairo or like what's going on there? So it's, I got to get with that guy and see what he's about. <laughs> right. But, okay. So uh, I guess deal. that's it. And I think, thank you very much uh, for the opportunity to share some of what I have with you. I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you being willing to do so. And I know I kind of put you up against the time, time crunch here with, you know, 45 to 60 minutes to cover, you know, in depth or even at a surface level, you know, all this, all this uh, important anatomy, my, my intention and what I hope the listeners are going to walk away from this conversation with is a peaked interest, you know, just understanding there, there's a lot more to be gained, you know, by kind of slowing down, taking a step back and, you know, looking at this anatomy with a more critical eye and with a little bit more of a filter, um, you know, that is sort of from a different perspective, you know, not not a chiropractic perspective, because we share a lot. And, and I think this is what's really unique about when folks like you come into our community. We, we really care about function, right? We, we're mindful of the pathology, but we want folks to function well. We want them to have the best quality and quantity life through proper function of the, of the muscular neuromusculoskeletal system. Right. And then that encompasses all the others too. Um, patient centered, right. We care about people. Like a lot of us get into these fields. It's not because we, you know, picked upper cervical chiropractic off a, off a career fair job description in high school. Right. We, we find these are ourselves in these interesting, you know, fields because we care for people and we're curious and it, it sort of meanders our way on these journeys uh, and health and fitness, healthcare, all this stuff, it kind of comes together, right? Um, and then the last part of it is the open-minded and collaborative mind. You know, I think a lot of us are, are really, we're really keen to help each other, right? not just as people, but as healthcare providers. And we see folks that are suffering in our clinics and we're, we're motivated to be a conduit, you know, for these folks to find help. 
Uh, and so I really appreciate you being willing to share, you know, share a bit of your expertise. I would love if, if you have a few more minutes, talk to us about this book. I mean, holy smokes, what an undertaking it is to write a, a reference text, um, you know, just as a side project. You, you're, you mentioned you're a mom and you're a health enthusiast and you're a practicing radiologist. So how do you find time to just throw together a textbook on the side? Passion. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, and lack of sleep since we were talking about it. <laughs> no, yeah. but uh, honestly, early on in life, it was uh, early on in, in my professional life. Remember I work uh, in, pri- I work in private practice. I work from home. So that's, uh, it was very challenging to, um, to raise young children and try to keep a semblance, some semblance of my professional life. Cause there's no clocking out, you know? There's like, I'm here all the time in both capacities with all hats on, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I just, uh, I, I'd like to say that I, I was fortunate enough to run into some amazing mentors who imparted many gifts and parcels of knowledge upon me, you know, and I, um, these books, I would like to think that they are uh, a tribute to them. Okay, so I have three books. One of them is Oral Maxillofacial uh, just the pathology. It was actually the co- the the lead author is um, a good friend of mine, Lisa Koenig, who's another oral maxillofacial radiologist, and I'm a co-lead uh, in addition to two others. So that's the book that we're currently working on, the third edition. That was the first book that we worked on. And then the second one was a dental implants book. And then the third one was the specialty imaging temporomandibular joint and sleep disordered breathing. And that the one that just came out, this uh, sleep disordered TMJ and SDB, this uh, is the second edition. So the first edition was purely TMJ, and it was a product of once again David Hatcher uh, taking the time uh, to to pass this on. You know, you know when 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 the student is ready, the teacher will appear. That it was mm. exactly this situation, right? And I was there. He's in Sacramento. I'm here in Florida, and I was basically at his feet. Uh, well, virtually, you know. Uh, on a, a daily basis to try to get that knowledge that was necessary to create this, this book, the first edition of the book. Okay. And then the natural progression for that TMJ book was the sleep disorder, adding the sleep disorder breathing, because it's all related to one another. Right. And um, yes. Yeah, so this, this, the whole idea is once again, I said passion, you know, my passion and my professional goal is to bridge the gap between mm. the different specialties, right? So medicine and dentistry are not speaking the same language. Chiropractic and dentistry are not speaking the same language. You know, osteopathy and dentistry are not speaking the same language. I'd like to try to, to create something uh, that helps everyone talk in that same lingo. Because in the end, when we all talk to one another, or another and we communicate with one another, we're able to help our patients better, okay? Yeah. So there was a lot of lost sleep, I have to tell you. <laughs> but yeah. in the end, you know, the, the good that we leave behind when we leave this world, you know, whether it's knowledge or good deeds or whatever, that's what I'm, my, my driving force is here. I appreciate that, that perspective and taking the long view with that because it's, um, I'm sure there's plenty of times, you know, in the mid- middle of working on a project like that, that it feels like, what am I even doing this for, you know, and, and who's going to care about this? And, and, you know, all those, all those, uh, sort of like low points and just the trudgery of putting something like that together. Uh, but it'll, it'll live on 
hopefully college campuses, you know, on their libraries and their bookshelves and be references for all these standards of care, you know, documents that are being developed and worked on. And uh, as, as we've talked about with upper cervical chiropractic, there needs to be these, you know, these seminal works that just help anchor us to a common, a common language and a common um, uh, understanding. And I think that folks that are, are, not wanting to make a name for themselves in the niche, but are wanting to bridge the gap. I really respect folks like that uh, because it's uh, maybe a little bit less, uh, what's the word? Maybe there's a little bit less celebrity in it, uh, but there's a lot lot more karma to use your word. And I, I really appreciate that because the, the thing is you'll never know. And this is, you just get philosophical again, like you'll never know the full impact of what this work means to people. Uh, and you'll never get to hear from every patient who benefits from the provider who learned through your work. Um, but just knowing that that's, you know, that that's out there and that that ripple effect will spread over time is powerful. So I, I just want to uh, thank you for taking the time. And even if it's a, a passion project, you know, creating the thing that you don't see in the world that you, you think the world needs, um, it's still it's still meaningful to a lot of us. So appreciate your dedication and hard work on that. And I know you'll continue, you know, I know it's a, it's a, it's not a, not a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. And as time and information evolves it, so will the work. I'll continue as long as there's breath in me. Yes. (laughs) To bring it back to airway. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Dr. Tamimi. I really appreciate it. And if, if there's any other, you know, last words of encouragement or, or things that you'd like to leave, leave the listeners with last thoughts, um, this would be a great time for that. Just never stop learning, you know. Nobody knows it all. And the more you know, the more humbler you become. Hmm. So Be- beautiful. When if you ever do become a teacher, remember to bow your head before your students because they're gonna be your best teachers. Hey, we just wanted to say thank you for listening to Atlas of Chiropractic. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Go ahead and subscribe to the show and turn on notifications so that you're the first to know about new episodes. Leave a rating and review to let others know how you really feel about the conversations we're having. And last thing, check the show notes for relevant links, contact info, and resources that we mentioned during this episode. 